If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make your podcast. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's free. You pay no fee whatsoever. It's absolutely, totally free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And most of all, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. Well, the most important thing is that you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Well, what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. What are you waiting for? Go ahead and subscribe and make your own podcast. It's free. Welcome to this new episode of the podcast Self-Evolution Regardless. I'm your host, Maramber Homa, and I welcome you to listen to this podcast about narcissism in general, toxic relationships, and ways to deal with them and to save ourselves, but most importantly, seek self-evolution regardless of the abuse. I hope you enjoy and find this episode and the upcoming ones enjoyable and insightful in any way shape or form and i thank you very much for listening now let's get started welcome everyone to a new episode of the podcast self-evolution regardless and today's episode is going to be featuring something else apart from the uh personal bill of rights the series that we're doing for now it's gonna be about um but of course i'm gonna continue with this series obviously today's episode is gonna be about nine ways actually it's inspired by an article from thoughtcatalog.com and the blogger is awesome she's really like she goes through the topics very very thoroughly and i loved her blog in general and i recommend you read some of her blog posts otherwise you can hear me listen you can uh you can hear me listen (laughs) you can uh listen to me talk about um some of her blogs that i choose to talk about so um blog posts i mean so i was really inspired to talk about this uh nine ways children of narcissistic parents love differently It's about dating, and the reason why I was inspired to talk about this was because I was already doing research about what a narcissistic father is, so I came across that article about the 38 signs of a, or characteristics of a narcissistic father, but then I generalized it and said a narcissistic person would do these in general, and so right off the bat it was um it was related to that okay so anyway i really found this article really thorough and really interesting and it analyzes what it what it's like to date as a child of narcissistic parents unfortunately okay it doesn't mean you're cursed it just means that you're it's a rough patch you know it's really uh a very hard thing sometimes to understand but trying to 
make it clear and easy enough, digestible enough for people to understand is the most important thing. So let's go ahead, without further ado, let's go ahead and start. So number one is the first way that we love differently is that we trust easily and don't trust enough sometimes or let's say at times we trust too easily and at other times we don't trust enough you know so it's like too little and too much and not going in the middle route which is the sufficient amount of trust and that's the problem so these children are taught that they live in a frightening world one where love is rarely unconditional or should I say, one where love is very much one-sided, that it is acceptable and normal and okay for love to be one-sided and absolutely conditional, with no compromise, like with no mutual understanding or respect for partners in a relationship. Usually, we'll we'll be uh, programmed again <laughs> to think this way, to think that the world is not really a place where loving and no such thing as genuine relationships really exist, rather a place where um, very much one-sided conditional love exists. And healthy love is suspect. Healthy love is something to be most frequently uh, doubted about. It's not something to be um, believed in. And the side of toxic love is all too familiar. It becomes the sight of toxic love becomes something we're extremely used to so when we are attracted to someone who is pretty much uh, similarly toxic to the way that we were raised it feels so familiar and it's like we're back to the comfort zone one more time we trust in the monsters disguised as saviors far more easily than we do those who offer us a stable version of love. Unfortunately, it seems like we don't uh, see red flags that someone is disguised as a savior and we actually do trust them far more easily than we do to those who show us true signs of care and true signs of love. The tr the the trick is not to trust too easily or and not to trust at all. So the balance is found in trusting ourselves. So the trick is we shouldn't trust too easily those who present themselves as saviors when they're basically wearing masks of heroism and to not trust at all because we are very much extremely protective of ourselves and that's something I'm gonna talk about in a minute here and and the most important thing is that we have to find a balance which is basically to trust ourselves 
and that is achieved by self-care, self-love, and training ourselves and our minds to trust ourselves little by little. And with consistency, of course, we can get there. So until we learn to grieve and heal over our wounds from childhood, we won't be able to trust our inner voice. Exactly. We have to learn to grieve and heal our our core wounds from childhood. We have to accept the fact that the to- these toxic relationships will never change. But we have to move on and we have to heal ourselves in order for us to trust ourselves and trust our inner voice and move forward in life knowing that we are past that trauma and we are slightly better day by day. We'll continue to ignore the instincts that could save our lives or prejudge someone who may want to be the best for us. Yes. True. Number two is we deeply desire commitment, but we also fear it like the plague. So you can you can almost see the pattern here is that we are wanting something but then at the time at the same time afraid of getting it. Like it's too like there's a huge risk of falling into a trap that is um very deep and scary. So yeah. So we seem to be the types of the types to be in search of long-term commitment. Long-term relationships can provide an odd sense of comfort to someone who has felt alienated, especially by their own flesh and blood. Of course, yes. And however, deep down, we also have an intense fear of commitment, especially when it comes to committing to a person who may actually care for us. So, commitment and long-term relationships is something that almost is too boring for us to stay in because it feels so familiar and and it feels familiar in the sense that because we have been ill-treated all our childhood and teen years and continuing on to our adult years we feel like we're betrayed by our our closest people in our lives and then when we want to seek um, a long-term relationship with someone we are terrified of it because when they're when they're showing care of course because we were too afraid that we might fall into that same cycle again due to the enmeshed and dysfunctional family we grew up in commitment to us signifies another person having complete control over us and our emotions and that's why we are terrified of the long-term commitment as a result, we tend to defend our freedom whenever we feel it might be challenged and can withdraw when things get too intense. And it's not because we run away of the relationship, but rather it's because we're protecting ourselves from the sort of like the 
how our minds were programmed, how our subconscious mind works, unfortunately, and that fear, that rush of cortisol in our bodies keeps us um, self-protective of potential abuse because that's what what that's what we have been raised to live and because we're hyper vigilant of the moods and temper around the house and in the atmosphere that we are hyper vigilant in the relationship itself that's why we sort of quit or withdraw when things get too intense unfortunately and this this is really this is painful to even say these out loud because every single one of them relates so yeah number three we are hyper attuned to everything and this is what i just mentioned right here so there's all these signs like body language facial expression tone words Everything in between is detected and carefully inspected due to the constant apprehension. Why do we carefully always look for that slight change in body language or slight shift in the facial expression or the thickening of the voice tone or change of words? We, our children of narcissistic parents, are hyper-vigilant and hyper-careful about how and if those changes ever occur. And we have been trained all, all, all our lives, especially in childhood, to always inspect them and always be careful with those slight changes in all of them. In the body language, in the facial expression, tone, and words. So, because we're trained with that, we have been living with constant daily stress, which is what explains post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's much worse if it becomes daily, which makes it complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and it just hits so hard to where with almost with everyone almost i'm not saying it goes with everybody 100% but there are exceptions to the rule and almost everyone we are around or hanging out with it's it it's just automatic like we we become attuned to that attuned to everything and it becomes worse when we are involved with a partner because the reminder then is much more intense and much higher. And what we had to live with our parents is something that we are going to have to live with our partner. So it's like automatic. We had to be investigators in order to survive our childhood. Yes, pretty much. Unpaid investigators. <laughs> uh, we had to be... Uh, okay, so we had to be on the lookout for whenever our parents were about to verbally and emotionally or even physically harm us. Every single word that comes out of our mouth must be 
carefully studied and carefully chosen because if there's any sort of mistake or misjudgment or a wrong prediction of their supposed reaction is gonna cause our ter- terror and paranoia of getting verbally, emotionally, and physically even abused. And that's why I have to be careful, extremely careful with what we do and say. And how we do and say the things. Due to this, we are highly sensitive and intuitive to the needs of others, but we are also constantly on the lookout for what's about to come. Too much to the point where we're focused on others and we're not focusing on ourselves. See, that's what happens when we give too much and we don't take, which is also another point I'm going to talk about in this article. It's all basically almost related. And it's important. This is the tip that is important. It's important to tune back to ourselves to what we are feeling and how we can best take care of ourselves. Being selfish is the word that will a lot of people will say, but it's not about selfishness, it's about that it's okay to look after ourselves and not have to focus on everybody else's problems, actions, feelings and thoughts and everything. All the time. It's exhausting. It's depressing. And it's consuming us. And it's making us live this chronic, addictive stress every day. And it's not good. We cannot control the actions of others. But we can control which relationships we continue to pursue. And this is a very important, extremely highlightable statement. We cannot control the actions of others, which derive from their thoughts and feelings. Okay, we cannot control them. They can act however they can wherever they can, for whatever reason. But we can choose which relationships we continue to pursue. We can cut off people. It's not a freaking crime. I think that going no contact sometimes, even with the family, if it's required, if if the environment is too toxic to handle, is too tiring, too manipulative, too controlling to live by, cutting off people is a must. We have to be able to choose. We have to be aware of our ability to choose which relationships to continue pursuing. Because if we continue living with these kinds of people, what are we gaining? We're not gaining anything. We're losing everything. And they're gaining fuel. They're gaining their attention. They're gaining their supply. All they're gaining is what's interest is what's convenient and interesting to them, but it's not for us. So we can choose which relationships we can pursue as long as we are aware of our ability to do that. Remember that. 
Number four. We can't be swallowed whole by the person we love and we make excellent caretakers. But we have to work on becoming better boundary makers. Definitely. We learned to cater to the needs of our toxic parents at a very young age in order to survive all the time, all the freaking time. Many of us even took on parent role. Oh my god. The the flashbacks are coming. So I remember this this one time, actually a lot, like, happened a few times, really. But I felt like I was a parent of my own mother, believe it or not. I had to defend her in front of my siblings, and it's just, uh, I felt like I was a parent at the time. But, yeah. Or even a parent role to our own siblings. Like, we have, like, we took those parent roles some way, some reason, somehow. Okay? This means our boundaries are porous and need extra work and maintenance. Lack of boundaries forces us to take care of others and prioritize their needs over ours. And that's how we become parents of them instead of parents of our own needs and wants. So here comes the importance of boundaries that we have to make sure that we put extra work and extra focus on our boundaries and maintain them. Because that's how we can cater to our own needs more than others. Because they are responsible for their own needs, you know? We don't have to be there for everybody else and not ourselves, you know? So here's a tip. Learning that we have basic needs and rights seems like a rudimentary step, but it's actually one of the most important milestones children of narcissistic parents can achieve. And learning, of course, that we have basic rights and needs, of course, it's a rudimentary step. We have never been taught that. The problem is, in dysfunctional atmospheres and environments, we are never really taught that we have rights and basic needs that we should be meeting for our own self. Because the whole time, we have been basically trained to cater for other people's needs and prioritize them instead of ours. So that's why we give too much. So learning that we have those basic needs and rights is definitely something that is worth considering and it's something that is worth trying to execute every single day while surviving this whole trauma. Five, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Since the remnants of our childhood tend to lead to destructive cycles in adulthood, it is not often that we meet someone who embodies what love and respect look like. For a long time, our mentality might be 
What can't come near us can't or won't hurt us. This is natural for someone who had to endure multiple violations even before they became adults. So during the healing journey, children of narcissists can heal their fear of intimacy once they begin getting to know and trust themselves first. Absolutely. So, number six, we become easily enmeshed with toxic people. Due to our past experiences of abuse, we tend to become attached to toxic people in chaotic situations in early adulthood in a more intense way because they bring up past wounds while also cementing new ones. So it's all pain upon pain piling up and wounds on wounds and there's nothing really beneficial going on there we internalized obviously because it feels so familiar because that's what we have been growing up in so attracting or getting or being in a relationship with those people is definitely uh something that we find ourselves having to stay because it's familiar unfortunately but of course we can choose which relationships you can pursue. But that's the problem, is that we attract those people in our lives and because the abuse feels familiar, we stay. We internalized verbal and emotional abuse as a twisted sense of normal in childhood. Exactly. And normal seems to become the most comfortable thing that we get used to and what's abnormal, which is what's healthy, is something that is terrifying and we're not really used to. So it's no wonder that we rationalize their behavior in adulthood. And it seems to be something pretty much justifiable and it's not something to go against. Anyone can be the victim of a predator. But as a childhood abuse survivor, people who envy or belittle us seem like a natural fit. Because this type of pain-pleasure dynamic is all we have experienced, and unfortunately, that's what we have been shown and we haven't learned any better. Of course, when teen years, you know, get involved and adult years get involved, Basically, that's where we can be aware of what's going on. That's where we can study what's going on and see if what's going on is wrong. We have to do... Here's a tip. We have to do a lot of emotional cleansing. She said in the article, uh, emotional house cleaning. <laughs> but it's in the same context, in the same vein. So we have to do a lot of emotional cleansing to detach from these relationships once we reach adulthood and emotional cleansing requires a lot of self-awareness a lot of letting out letting things out to someone who is professional and unbiased like a therapist or a loyal good friend who is not gonna judge you over what the things that happened to you okay Number seven, we are fiercely independent. Yeah, I-N-D-E. I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-N-D. 
Oh my god, I misspelled the word. Anyway, I just love the song. I just wanted to share it real quick. Okay, so let's begin. The thing about children of narcissists is they learn to fend for themselves early on. To strategically navigate a, psych a psychological war zone is literally a war zone. Like, believe me when they say this. She was right. It's a psychological war zone that we have to strategically move through without falling into those traps and those mines everywhere. Children of narcissists are fighters, so at the end of the day, they don't really need anyone to do anything for them. Well, it's not because we are very much self-centered and don't want anyone's help or attention. It's just that it's because of the abuse, it's because of what we have been going through that we find it ultimately in adulthood, growing up to become adulthood, doing everything by our own, by our own is the best thing and we don't really need help or, uh, you know, uh, support or so we think, okay? Keep that in mind, or so we think, okay? Um... So, basically, here's the tip. Independence is a powerful trait. It is. It's definitely something worth embracing. But it's also wise to balance it out with the ability to ask for help and look for reciprocity in relationship. Okay? Looking, asking, there's no shame or harm when it comes to asking for help. It's definitely something that, you know, whoever is willing to help you out will be able to help you out. And it's it's penniless, it's for free, and it's definitely, it should be something done out of a pure intention. And to look for reciprocity in relationship. We reciprocate the, the help, the support, the aid, the emotional lift that uh we give that is that is really what's helpful and what keeps people lifting each other up and what keeps healthy relationships stay healthy even friendships healthy friendships okay do not allow your independence to deprive you of the love and affection you deserve and give freely to others, especially to those undeserving of your time, energy, and efforts. Definitely a big don't. You are not an emotional punching bag or sponge. Absolutely. You are your own person and you also are deserving of having someone care for you in return should you need it. Another tip, many children of narcissists tend to get into one-sided friendships or relationships where they get uh, ordained by the other person without getting any benefits in return. Same, it's just giving, giving, giving. They give, give, give without getting because they're convinced themselves they do not need anyone to do anything for them. And that's why, or that's how, we have been programmed all our childhood to not need any help from anybody else we can do everything by ourselves and it continues to adulthood which is even a freaking much worse nightmare to have to believe in that's how things are i guess eventually 
Which is not acceptable, of course. I'm not saying it's okay. This endless giving is usually rooted in a deeply painful feelings of never being quite enough and having to work hard to receive love because that's what we have been working to achieve all our lives. We wanted to get that satisfaction and pleasure from our parents, which we have never been able to because they have always changed their minds constantly and they change their expectations highly frequently so what we were doing is that we were seeking the impossible basically it's a mission impossible for the love and appreciation and pride and we in turn never felt good enough guess what happens we always give and give and give even in friendships and relationships and we fall for those friendships and relationships which which are one-sided unfortunately and then we give And then we don't get much in return. And we still have to work harder to get love. What we get is nothing. Because those people, in the first place, are toxic. They must learn to ask for and be receptive of receiving... Receptive to the idea of receiving the same type of love and attention they're used to giving to others. Um... So, so yeah, basically, the children of narcissistic parents should learn to ask for and be receptive to receiving the same type of love and attention they're used to giving us. No, this is actually wrong. This is what we have been trained to believe in. This is what we have been trained to learn. To learn to ask for and be receptive to receiving the same type of love and attention they're used to giving. It's not always applicable. See, that's the problem. Some people, if you give a lot of love, a lot of attention, a lot of care, a lot of time, a lot of energy to people, your friends or colleagues or romantic partner even, that doesn't mean that they're going to give you the same type of love, attention, and energy. But if they reciprocate the same amount of time, energy, and love that you give, that is what a healthy relationship is. That's the highest level of what a good, healthy, stable relationship is. Okay? But having to ask for and receive the same kind of love is not really always applicable. It's only with people who are genuine and who have the genuine intention and... um, desire to keep you around who will not hesitantly give you and show you the same amount of energy time and love as much as you give them number eight we're afraid of being seen so we either become too visible by oversharing or disappear altogether by withdrawing this is similar to um Uh, way number uh, two 
Wait, no. Um. Way number four and one. It's pretty similar to those, but it's in a different context. So, sorry. Um. Okay, so sometimes children of narcissists have a tendency to overshare. Sorry, in the early stages of healing, in the hopes that someone will see their pain and come rescue them. They put themselves out there to find that rescuer, only to find that the toxic types pretending to be the rescuing ones are only there to feed on their wounds and exploit their vulnerabilities. However, once they become their own saviors, children of narcissists tend to vacillate, vacillate in the other direction. They tend to close themselves off so no one can hurt them. So it works pretty much self-contradictory way. We overshare, and then once we realize that this person is toxic and the patterns of behavior they're showing are too familiar for us, that we get really extremely terrified and we close ourselves off and we don't share and open up anymore. So, basically, where am I? Okay, if we are vulnerable with you, it's because we want you to see us for who we really are and please accept it. Please. <laughs> Um, we crave intimacy, obviously, but we take a huge risk in that. And because for us, being visible was always akin to being punished and degraded. Yeah, this is, this is, I mean, painful AF, really, but that's, that's how things are sometimes, and it's just, it just aches my heart. So the tip here is be gentle with a narcissistic parent's child. <laughs> I forgot to write the word. Okay, so they are disclosing things at a slower rate than, mo than the most. Obviously, because they are trying to protect themselves from inhalation. They're trying to protect themselves from the fear or basically, they're trying to protect themselves from that emotional, physical, and verbal abuse that they have always been used to. Because they're always hyper-vigilant with body language, tone, words, and voice, and facial expression. And they're always used to getting punished and degraded for making the smallest mistakes. So please, please be gentle with the narcissistic parent's child. They date differently. Number nine, finally, last one. Um, despite it all, we are magnanimous with our love. And magnanimous means highly moral, especially in showing kindness or forgiveness, as in overlooking insults or not seeking revenge. Peaceful, basically. Children of narcissists are remarkable in their strength in their resilience, and in their capacity to love despite everything they have been through. Okay, so let me just make one thing clear. Like I always said before, there's always an exception to the rule, okay? Sometimes there are people who do this, 
who are very strong and very resilient and would love despite all the abuse they've been through, but some others will just go on and continue the generational curse of the abuse and they will become abusers themselves. So yeah. Okay. When we grow accustomed to the safety of someone, truly safe, we give it all, and overall is an our all is a whole lot of love that we never received ourselves. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So just give us time and space to adjust to the sense of safety as a new normal because like I said earlier and like she said earlier and like we might all agree about on is the fact that we are uh, disclosing things at a slower rate than the most. So yeah. When we have reached an optimal stage of healing, we love fiercely, with intention, with passion, and with special care, because we deeply know what it's like to be unloved, and we never want anyone else to go through what we did. These are extremely powerful words. Reading them out loud almost make me cry, makes me cry, but regardless, love remains something that is very pure and very honest and clear and it's, it's never, it should never be used with like along with manipulation, gaslighting, and control, and dominance, and all that. Love is pure. And when we are healing, when we're trying to date, when we're trying to find the right partner, or even friendships, whenever we love, the way that we the people who grow out of that abuse and try to change how the system worked. We were trying to break the system basically because it's flawed everywhere. So when we try to create a new system where love acts as genuine as it can and as harmless as it can, Truly, we never want anyone to go through what we did. And because we love fiercely and with all that passion and with all that intention, we wish we can get that as well. We really deeply wish someone could reciprocate, re- reciprocate that with us. Because despite all the abuse, we will never, and we promised ourselves, and me, I promised myself, if I ever have a child, I will never treat him or her the way that I was treated all my life. I will never do that. If I get married and have a husband, I will never treat him the way my exes did. Ever. Or the way that I had to treat my exes because they were too freaking assholish jerks, douchebags, 
that I had to deal with, the way that I had to deal with, the bitchy-ass attitude-ass me. Because we love fiercely and with all the honesty and passion and care, and because of how generous we are, we seem to be at least, we really wish and want someone to care for us. So these are the nine ways why children of narcissistic parents date and seek love differently. Unfortunately, it's hard. It's definitely painful to have to go through that abuse day by day. And it's definitely harder to have to heal despite that abuse and evolve despite it, okay? A lot of the times we have bursts of rage, bursts of revenge, images of inner monsters that want to burst out and just kill all these abusers and just be at peace with them, with ourselves, like, it happens, we're not perfect. Because of so much anger and feelings of vengeance and, and, uh, basically anger and rage that we get those images in our minds which are terrifying but we want to do whatever it takes to get rid of those people I'm not saying that any child of narcissistic parents is a psychopath no but it's because of the amount of wounds that have been imposed on us regardless of our will that we really want to seek all kinds of means to destroy their system that they have been planting inside of our minds ever since childhood and that just we want we want to just heal we want to just be at peace with ourselves and with the other people who care who truly care for us so with these nine ways you now know how difficult it is for children of narcissistic parents to date and this article focuses on dating more than friendships. So with these nine ways, now we know what it's like to date being a child of narcissistic parents. Of course, you can tell the story to millions of people and, and 90... 900,000 people will not believe it because they don't know what narcissism is. They don't know what it looks like. They probably don't even understand what the term is. But, I mean, I am extremely grateful for something called the internet and for people who are aware enough to share their experiences and their knowledge and to let others become more aware of what truly narcissism is about and what it hides behind and all the masks it wears to pretend to be something acceptable and some part of the norm 
of society and all that crap, you know. But all in all, to end this, is that I just want to say, regardless of all the abuse and regardless of all the pain and wounds and scars that we have to carry with our lives as we grow older. The most important thing is that we have to take care of ourselves and stop giving attention to people undeserving of it. Even if it takes, stop giving contact and focus and attention and time and energy to those people undeserving of the amount of true love that we can give. Because all we've been receiving is fake love. So we might as well stop communicating with them and stop just all in all just focusing on them. And take care of ourselves more. And we have to seek self-evolution regardless of the abuse. <laughs> okay, so, um, alright, so this is it. This is the end of the episode. I really, really thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I'll see you in the next one. So, folks, that's a wrap for this episode, and as you can guess, this is my goodbye speech. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I hope you found this episode enlightening to some degree. You can always like, comment, favorite, share, and even subscribe to this podcast here on Anchor FM or any other platform where, where you'll find my podcast available, like Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and recently I've added my podcast in TuneIn as well as Red Circle. That's where you'll find my podcast also available. I'd also appreciate your support for a very small monthly fee. If you have any topic suggestions, questions, some feedback you'd like to share, don't hesitate to send me a brief voice message and I'll take care of that. So to conclude, this was Self Evolution Regardless. I'm your host, Maram, and I will see you in the next episode.